Parenting is tough, and moms like Julie need encouragement when they feel overwhelmed. And the first thing I did was turn on the Focus on the Family podcast about parenting. That is my go-to because there's always a topic that is relating to what I'm going through at the moment. I'm Jim Daly. This season, help us give families hope. And when you give today, your donation will be doubled. Donate at FocusOnTheFamily.com slash joy. If you look out across the vast sea of holiday movie releases this year, there's one thing you're going to have a hard time finding much of among all the tentpole releases in November and December. Original content. Hey everyone, Adam Holtz here, your host of The Plugged In Show. Focus on the family's weekly conversation about entertainment, technology, and pop culture. Thanks for joining us today. Yeah, friends, it's that time of year. The tree is up, the presents are wrapped. Okay, my presents aren't wrapped. Maybe <laughs> maybe yours are, but Mine you know, aren't I've, we still You're have a man. little bit of time. Thank you for the honesty. <laughs> Most importantly, we're looking forward to celebrating the birth of our Savior and time with family. And you may not realize it, but Hollywood has its own holiday traditions, too. And no, I'm not talking about watching It's a Wonderful Life or A Miracle on 34th Street, those would be great movies to enjoy together. I am talking about sequels, lots and lots of sequels or reboots or remakes or some combination of all of the above. Yes, indeed. Looking at this year's list of big year end hopefuls, they're almost all sequels. Today, I'm joined by Emily Clark, Jonathan McKee, and Paul Acey, and we're going to talk sequels, both what you can expect in some of the big hitters this year, as well as how and why we've gotten to this point where sequels seem to be the only thing Hollywood knows how to make. So if you're planning on heading out for a movie this Christmas season, or maybe just heading downstairs to stream one, you're going to want to tune in for this conversation. And in our second segment, Paul Acey and I will be talking about the latest Marvel show on Disney Plus, and uh, it involves bows and arrows. So I'll just leave you with Ooh. that tantalizing clue. String you along, so to speak. Ex <laughs> Taking aim at the second segment. Oh, oh man. This is going to be a good one. I can tell already <laughs> the, uh, the puns are flowing. So uh, to get us started, I thought I would throw y'all a curveball of sorts. I often ask you about something from your past, a favorite movie or a favorite song or first experience with this or that in pop culture. Not today. Well, not really. I thought since we were going to talk about Christmas sequels and a Marvel superhero show today, we could mush those two categories together. If you could cast any superhero to play Santa Claus, and I'm talking as the superhero, not as Bruce Wayne or somebody, you know, relatively normal looking, you could cast anybody as Santa Claus in a Christmas movie, which superhero would it be and why? And Paul, I'm tempted to say you can't pick Batman just because... But that would be mean. If you want to go with Batman, I'll let you make the case. Batman would make a terrible Santa Claus. Boy. He would not be a good Santa Claus. <laughs> Presents. Yeah. Presents for the rich, spoiled kids. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> Honestly, I don't think that one superhero can fill Santa Claus's shoes. Where are you going with this, Paul? The Fantastic Four. 
Holy cow. All of the fantastic so you, uh, you immediately obliterate my question <laughs> by picking four, count them, four superheroes. No, 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 no super I want heroes. him to explain this. No, Please, he will. elaborate. He will, but I'm going to continue to upbraid him for just a moment. <laughs> exactly. Okay, why the fantastic We could call them four? the quadrilogy or something. Oh, oh, I like it. I like it. Okay, so first off, you've got Ben Grimm, the rock guy, who seems like a nice jovial sort despite being made of rock, and he would sort of do like the mall thing where kids would sit on his lap and he would listen <laughs> okay. to them. So his uncomfortable lap. Uh, yeah, hopefully he's got hopefully he's <laughs> exactly. got a pillow or something. Reed Richards, the stretchy guy. Right, Mr. He'd Fantastic. He'd be able to go down the chimneys without any problem. Sue it's Storm, true. his wife, would be invisible. So Reed Richards would unlock the door. Sue Storm could come in, be invisible, and put all the presents around. And then Johnny Storm, the guy who uh, who. Sets Sue himself, Storm's brother. Sue Storm's brother sets himself on fire. He would be able to light the fireplace as they leave. Chestnuts roasting on the open fire. Holy cow. <laughs> I feel I like accept it. I, I I just I feel like we can move into our main conversation now because you just answered for everyone. <laughs> he did. But I will four give four space for, for other four. responses because that's the kind of generous guy I am. And, and it's it is Christmas. It is Christmas, right? Indeed. Emily, who's on your list? Okay. So I had trouble choosing. I feel like uh, if you took Endgame Thor, you know, when he had the pot belly, he could be a good Santa. You know, I can imagine him just being like, this child was excellent. Another. (laughs) You know? Another. Or, you know, (laughs) Odin. I think Odin would also be cool, but I think that's mostly because I want to see Anthony Hopkins take on Santa. But if we're really... Santa with a patch on his eye. Oh, that'd be awesome. Like, total just like, oh... Yeah, that'd be awesome. No, that'd um, be awesome. but but if you really want to get technical, ego portrayed by Kurt Russell, oh. because Kurt Russell has already played Santa, and I think that would be a really interesting crossover. Ego is Santa, Whoa. not really a superhero. It would be. It would definitely not be your typical Christmas movie because he would probably wreck everything. But it'd be really funny. <laughs> <laughs> and just as a bonus thing, Loki as the Grinch. Oh, I was gonna pick Loki. <laughs> Sorry. Jonathan, you need to go next because I need to reload my answer. <laughs> okay. Um, I am just I'm I am not nerdy enough to come up with a super I, I'm just not into superhero films. I'm just telling uh. you, I'm sorry. I mean, definition of superhero. I mean, is it anybody with powers? Can we go to Lord of the Rings and can I choose Gimli? Because I think he would be a great oh, Santa. Be amazing. Jonathan. I mean, he already hates elves. Uh, so he'd be like, don't tell the elf. You know, and I don't know. It would just, <laughs> there's so many cool elves. things. Santa works with elves. That's a problem, right? I, I know. Well, but Gimli works be that, with an elf. There would yeah. be that conflict, which would be very good for the film. I, I think that, would, <laughs> I don't know. I, I like that. But, I mean, if we're really just going with anyone with powers, I'm going to go with uh, Arnold Schwarzenegger as the T-800 because he has special powers in Terminator 2, and he's a good guy, and he could, like, sit kids on his lap and be like, what do you like? Yeah, I mean, this would be awesome. I mean, he'd be, you know, and if he didn't like the kid or bad, he'd be like, hasta la vista. I mean, this, that, he would You're be terminated. the best Santa. <laughs> That's right. I'm sorry. I'm going to go with the Model 101, the T-800 Arnold. Yeah. Um, I'm going to go with Groot yes. because, <laughs> because I think, I think, <laughs> I think Groot in a Santa costume would be great. And if like kids stayed up to give him milk and cookies 
and they found him, he would just say, I am Groot. I am Santa. He would never, <laughs> no, he would never say, I am Santa. That's the thing. He would never give it away. He'd just keep saying, I am Groot. All right. Well, that was fun. I think we could go another half an hour on that pretty easily. But uh, alas and alack, we have real things to talk about. <laughs> but I think that this was a good launch for our Christmas time sequel conversation. And it's interesting, Jonathan, that you brought up Lord of the Rings because I'm going to quote my very good old friend Theoden from Lord of the Rings, The Two Towers, who mumbles, how did it come to this? This situation that we're in where it feels like all we have is sequels. You know, once upon a time, there were new and fresh movies out pretty much all the time. But then somewhere, somehow, we turned a corner And now holidays seem to brim with retreads of various kinds from yesteryear. This year alone, and I'm talking about the stretch from right before Thanksgiving through Christmas and on into the first New Year's weekend, we've got this list of sequels, remakes, and reboots to contend with, and I'm probably missing some. Ghostbusters Afterlife, West Side Story, Home Sweet Home Alone, The Matrix, Resurrections, Sing 2, The King's Man, Dune, No Time to Die, and Spider-Man No Way Home. I know there's all kinds of obscure indie stuff streaming out there on Amazon Prime and on Netflix and whatnot, but when you look at the list of films that are actually getting a wide release in theaters in these two months, it's almost exclusively sequels. So let's talk about that. Why do you think Hollywood is so gaga for sequels? Because they're building onto something that already has success. You know, they could take a risk with by creating original content and everything, and maybe it'll be a blockbuster and maybe it'll be a flop. But if they've already done the original and it was super successful, then they're they're basically hoping that they won't just get new crowds, but they'll get returning crowds. So they've basically already got an audience built in as opposed to any original content. It's just a moneymaker. It's a money machine. It's just a money maker. What a sadly cynical answer. <laughs> and but, yet, no, I but, think the right, right one. <laughs> yeah. She's dead on. Yes, she is absolutely right. It, it, and it shows the business side of Hollywood, right? It, you know, we sometimes argue whether, whether movies are art, whether they're entertainment, you know. But clearly, when it comes to sequels, we're talking about the entertainment factor and the money-making factor more than anything else. Because, because they cost a lot of money to make these movies. So you want to make sure that you get a return on the investment, right? If you're a businessman in Hollywood... You want to make money. Yeah, no. And, you know, if you know anything about the film industry, like the way studios do these films is like they actually do need a couple of blockbusters each year, even if they're terrible. They just need something that's going to bring in money so that they can turn around and make those artistic films that, you know, don't necessarily make billions of dollars, but they're good and they're better films. Those are like the Oscar contenders. And then, of course, you know, Oscar contenders, just because of the prestige, wind up making a lot of money anyways. So but that's how they promote That's how they continue making money in that business you know they do have to pay people and you're like where's all this money coming from well it's coming from those really awful but often 
you know, funny type blockbuster films. Yeah. And I think that there's also a comfort factor involved. One of the reasons why they keep making sequels is people keep going to them because the fans of those franchises, they think that they are a known quantity. They know what they're going to get every time they show up into a theater. You know what you're going to have when you go to a Home Alone movie, for instance, or a Ghostbusters. Ghostbusters, yeah. Anything like that. You kind of know what you're going to get. Now, from our perspective... As reviewers, we have to sort of push a pause button on that because sometimes parents especially can be surprised by the content they find in some of these sequels. You think you know what you're going to find, and in reality, you might get a curveball thrown. Well, and let's let's also, I mean, I don't want to, you know, muddy the waters, but I think there's also a difference between a sequel, a simple, hey, Home Alone was a hit. Let's do Home Alone 2. Still and, Home Alone. You know, yeah, yeah. No, it's Home Alone 2, Lost in New York. This, this <laughs> poor kid was, it happened again. We don't know how. But but um, but that compared to the remake, I mean, because mm-hmm. if you think of like, you, you, we named Dune in there, okay? Or this particular Home Alone. Sorry to actually bring that one up. But, you know, this one is kind of more of like, hey, remember that film from 20 years ago or 30 years ago? You know, there are some diehard fans out there of the book and the film. If we revamp this, you know, we're going to automatically have a guaranteed audience of all those old fans. And and a lot of people do it. And, you know, and some do that very successfully. If I may pull one out of the woodworks, The Thing, uh, you know, he had the Kurt Russell one from way back in the 80s. It was really good. And then all of a sudden, really good in an I mean, '80s way. Yeah, yeah. And, and then <laughs> I just want then, to throw that in. <laughs> yeah, I mean, for a suspense kind of slash yeah, for, horror film, for an R-rated um, horror movie in the '80s. And and all of a sudden they do this basically prequel, and it was: is it a remake? Is it a sequel? And all the fans, and it, it wasn't a big blockbuster, but all the fans came out of the woodworks and said, "Let's see this again." And studios will often do that. And in us. You know, and in a way, that's kind of what West Side Story is doing. It's not like the sequel. It's not like a couple years later, let's do West Side Story 2. Northwest Side Story. Yeah, yeah, yeah. South Side Story. Uh, So I think it's a different thing. Well, and that's a good segue. I I wanted to talk briefly about West Side Story because we've touched on some of these other sequels. We haven't seen all of them yet. Um, But it, in some ways, is an outlier in that it's a remake of a movie that came out in 1961, a full 60 years ago. Paul, you saw and reviewed it for us. What surprised you or what did you take away in terms of the original compared to this remake by Steven Spielberg? Yeah. It's a big question, actually. You know, and and I wanted to just touch on... I'll give you two minutes. ...on something that Jonathan (laughs) touched on in that that remakes are very different than sequels. Mm -hmm. And one of the questions that I had walking in was, do we really need another West Side Story? The first one was pretty good. Um, This one did surprise me. The cinematography was great. For those who don't know the story, it's essentially a musical version of Romeo and Juliet thrown into the gang-infested world of New York City. Circa late 1950s? Yeah, yeah, probably right around there, where there's a lot of racial and ethnic tension. There's, you know, neighborhoods have these turfs. You know, there's a lot of consternation. And in this new one, there's a new wrinkle of 
urban renewal going on. The, mm. the neighborhood is being torn down. But as you might guess from a Romeo and Juliet story, we're talking about a love story between these two star-crossed the lovers. The Capulets and the Montagues. Otherwise mm. known as the Puerto Ricans and the Irish. Or the Sharks and the Jets. Or the, the Sharks, Sharks and, and the, the Jets. jets. Uh, so you have this, this sort of tragic love stories with this fabulous music and these fantastic dance numbers. It's kind of a weird mix and always has been. Um, This one brings a a more contemporary feel, obviously. But at the same time, one of the things that I was most surprised about it is how traditional it felt. Mm. It didn't feel like a 2020s musical. Mm -hmm. It felt like Mm. a classic 1960s musical in a lot of ways. Albeit, I'm guessing... With more profanity than the original. It did have more profanity than the original. Yes, it's significantly more. And And that might be the biggest content issue that if you're a fan of the original that you might be taken aback by a little bit. And you do have a, sort of a transgender character that yeah. that's a huge part of the story, which is not, from what I recall of the original, wasn't part of the uh, the original movie, that's for sure. That's true. So, I mean, I think this is a great example of how a beloved property from the past can be updated in a way that really pays homage to the classic and does a good job of it. There's already Oscar buzz about this one. Um, And yet we have some 21st century content elements to deal with. And I think anytime we're dealing with these older properties, we've got to remember the age they were made in and the age we're living now. And actually, weirdly enough, that can cut both ways. I think we would naturally think that newer versions of things are automatically going to be worse. But I would say our cultural sensitivities shift and change over time. And my guess is if you watched Ghostbusters from 1985 (laughs) back to back with this one, you would see different content issues. I was really mindful of that, actually, while watching Macbeth, which is coming out this Christmas on Apple TV+, Plus. Denzel Washington, Francis McDormand. It is very true to the original Shakespeare play. But when you watch it, you realize how many interesting issues the original play had with it. You mm. know, there's these sexual illusions that feel very contemporary in a way. Well, there you go. Um, I think that that is a a great place to bring our conversation in for a landing today. As parents, I think we always have to be mindful, whether we're talking an original or a sequel, that every single entertainment property that we're potentially thinking about engaging with as a family has to be taken on its own merits. And I was a little bit old man yells at the sky with all the sequels, but even apart from perhaps the lack of imagination with sequelitis, we still have to think about each one of those films on its own terms if we're thinking about engaging with it. And certainly with big budget marketing campaigns, Hollywood wants us to engage with these films. So if you are thinking about checking out something at the multiplex or streaming online uh, this Christmas season, we would encourage you strongly to check out our full plugged in review of that movie so that you can be well informed and think through, is this a good story for my family to engage with right now? Well, Paul, you and I are going to talk about a new show on Disney plus called Hawkeye. And I will simply preface this conversation by saying, and of the making of new Marvel Cinematic Universe shows on Disney Plus, 
there is no end, it would seem. <laughs> so what do we need to know about Hawkeye? I'm assuming this is the Hawkeye from Avengers who has a bow and arrow and whatnot. Get, yes and get no. Us, get us started. Yes and See, no. See, that's the problem with assumptions. They get you into trouble. So <laughs> talk to me about what do we need to know about Hawkeye? Well, as Jonathan would know, there, there's a lot of iterations of Hawkeye within the Marvel cinema or within the Marvel universe, right? Uh, Kate Bishop later becomes in the comic books Hawkeye. Okay, we Who, are introduced. Who's she? she, we are introduced to her in this television show. Uh, essentially, she's this rich, pampered, skilled archer who was inspired, actually, back in way back in two. 2012, when Loki brought in all the monsters to New York City. Her, her parents killed? Her dad was killed. Her mom is still hanging around. Darkness. But she was sort of no inspired. <laughs> she, she was sort of inspired to uh, take on this protector role. And so she sort of develops her skills and all this sort of stuff. Um, but she's still sort of this. Bow hunting skills. Pampered, skills. Rich girl. Bow staff skills. Nice. <laughs> I just, I'm sorry. I couldn't resist. Yeah. So she I becomes a pampered rich girl. She is vigilante, a pampered rich girl. Or is she a vigilante? No, she's. Not okay. yet. You're skipping ahead. Okay, well, skipping ahead. So keep, essentially, keep what happened? Well, essentially, what happens is uh, she discovers that she's about to get this new stepdad, uh, who she doesn't like very much. In the process of trying to investigate some weirdness going on with her stepdad and this other rich guy who's related to her new stepdad, she steps into this weird underground auction where the old costume for the Ronin. Is being auctioned. And if off. I were Ronan, exactly, who would I be, and how you would that would relate be to this bad story? Bad Hawkeye, the original Clint Barton Hawkeye from the movies, turned into Ronan, who is this vengeful assassin, essentially, who killed every bad guy he met. A very unadventurous type of stance. She sees this thing. There's chaos that develops within this auction. She swipes the outfit, puts it on. Beats up the bad guys. But here's the thing. Because Ronan has made so many enemies, um, all of a sudden, everybody thinks that she is the original Ronan. And bad guys start to pursue her. Meanwhile, Clint Barton, the original Hawkeye, (laughs) is is vacationing in New York with his kids. And he sees the clips of the Ronin outfit hanging out on TV, and he realizes, that's my old outfit. I need to get it before this person wearing it gets killed. Which begs all sorts of questions about how did the Ronin outfit end up on eBay? I mean, it's just a little... Underground auction, man. Underground auction. And how does somebody (laughs) mistake her for him also, but anyway. Yeah, so it's a convoluted setup to what is actually a pretty good show in terms of its entertainment value. It Really, what we've seen from these Disney Plus stories is some strong superhero outings. The stories have been fun. They've been reflective. They've been surprisingly poignant at times. Um, but... As with any superhero property, they always come with problems as well. Well, and that was what I was going to ask you, because I would I would observe that Marvel has been super consistent with the brand. Like, there's always, it seems like, a smattering of profanity. Every now and then you might get a little bit of innuendo. And then, of course, the relatively sanitized 
superhero violence. Are we in that kind of territory here? You are. You are. You're dealing with, of course, superhero violence. You're dealing with Ronan's backstory. People do die in this, and sometimes you see some blood. Um, and there's a so lot it's of, not the A-team. It's not the A-team. You do hear a bit of language as well. It's, again, sort of on that superhero movie type of level. You're going to hear some profanity. It's not going to get into R-rated territory, but definitely PG-13. Um, Kate Bishop's character... Though we haven't yet seen this in the show, in the Marvel comics, her sexuality can also be a bit fluid. So that's something also to watch out for with this show as it goes on through this season and if it develops other seasons as well. Well, especially since she's portrayed by Haley Steinfeld, who was in Apple TV Plus's uh, Dickinson, where she plays a bisexual Emily Dickinson. So, yeah. All right. Well, one thing I want to say related to that, you know, we review a lot of TV as well as movies at Plugged In. And sometimes with smaller shows, we may only hit one or two episodes. And so we always sort of toss that caveat of here's what we have seen so far. We don't necessarily know where this is going, but pay attention. So I think this is a, a good Potential warning saying, hey, they went here in the comic books. Don't be surprised if right. this happens here. And and on the bigger shows, we actually try to come back and hit more episodes. So I'm sure that we will revisit We will be revisiting Hawkeye, Hawkeye as the season goes on. It's a more traditional release where there's going to be an episode every week. Uh, so we'll continue to update it as time goes on. But when it comes to some of these shows, man, we always appreciate any help we can get from our audience. You That's know? right. So if you see an episode that we haven't reviewed, let us know at team at the plugged in show.com and, and we can go back and check it out. And Paul, thanks for telling us what we need to know about Hawkeye. You bet. Well, now it's time for that part of the plugged in show we call culture countdown. And I'm joined again by Paul, Emily, and Jonathan. You guys, you know what to do here. You've got, a whopping 30 seconds, which, as far as I'm concerned, 30 seconds feels incredibly generous on my part, to tell us about a story out there in the culture related to faith, entertainment, technology, youth culture, and why parents need to know about it. And Paul, I choose you to go first. All right. All right. All right. I'm going to need... You said three minutes, right? Three minutes? I said 30 seconds. <laughs> 30 seconds. Are you ready? I'm going to count you in. Three Two, one, go. So in a previous episode, we talked a lot about robots and sort of discussed the definition of robot. Just discovered a new story about robots, quote unquote, that have learned how to reproduce. What? Kid you not. These robots are not made of metal. They're not made of silicon. They're called xenobots. And the University of Vermont made them out of cultivated stem cell bundles from the African clawed frog. They have figured out a way to reproduce. Holy cow. I'm sorry. I know. I, There's so I want much. more. I want more information, but <laughs> I, I want a frog will robot. need to go and look at the clip in the episode notes. That's right. Thank you, Emily. That was great because I think it takes a village to resist Paul's desire to keep. Oh, I so much want to keep talk talking. More. Emily, what you good. got for us? You ready? Uh, yeah, I guess. All right. Okay. Let's try that again. Emily, are you ready? <laughs> I'm ready. With more enthusiasm I'm ready. This time. I'm ready. I'm All ready. All right. Here we go. Three, two, one. Go. 
If you have a teen or a tween, they're probably obsessed with TikTok. But did you know that new research is showing that TikTok and other short-form video platforms might actually be shortening people's attention spans? No. Yeah. To the point where, you know, people used to have patience for 10 to 30-minute videos, and they're just like... Even if I really want to watch this video, I just I would just want to sw- go to the next thing. I'm, I can't sit around for it. And it's ironically, we've run out of time for the rest of your story. <laughs> uh, but it seems to swipe short form sort of uh, this is sort of sort of short attention span theater, too. So that's it right. Truly is. And as you just said, you can find out more in the episode notes for today's show. Jonathan, what you got for us? You ready? Y'all ready for this? Hit it. Hit it. Here we go. Three, two, one, go. I'm looking at a Mashable article that is titled Teen Dramas from the Early 2000s Help Gen Z Imagine a Life Without Social Media Anxiety. Oh, that's And it's a fascinating article because it's talking about these kind of cheesy 2000 shows like One Tree Hill and stuff. But the author makes this interesting point, talks about, you know, People are liking this life, you know, without the inclusion of social media. And she says, it's an inescapable part of our lives and TV rarely gets it right. Oh, interesting stuff. That is interesting. You were so close to completing that sentence without cheating. But yeah, (laughs) almost, you know, I guess that uh, that just leaves me here. All right. All right, Emily, are you ready to count me in? Sure. You ready? Yes. Three, two, one. Well, in a new case of social media imitating art or something like it, Mr. Beast, who is a very well-known YouTuber whom we have reviewed, actually, you can find out about him at PluggedIn.com, has recreated the squid game with children and uh, not them being killed, but uh, with a big cash prize. And it just goes to show how this controversial, violent show... Man. So you wanted to cheat. 30 seconds. But he didn't. 30 seconds. He didn't try to speak it. in another word <laughs> we should after have a contest. the timer. We should have, yeah, exactly. We should have a contest finishing that sentence. <laughs> right? So we can do a Mad Libs version. <laughs> Baking cookies. Okay. Well, I'll take it under advisement and we'll, and cookies sound really good right now. Well, thank you everyone for your uh, your mostly willing participation and, and <laughs> mostly willingness to follow the rules paul i'm looking at you (laughs) for another episode of culture countdown and we'll be back next week with another pulse pounding version of this feature of our podcast and thanks again for spending some time with us at the plugged in show today how do you feel about sequels like them love them hate them don't care let us know on facebook or instagram or shoot us an email at team at thepluggedinshow.com and we would love to hear from you and we'd love to say thank you as well for joining us this week so today for a gift of any amount we'll send you a copy of paul ac's book burning bush 2.0 how pop culture replaced the prophet and you'll find a link to order that book in the episode notes for today's show as well as on the plugged in blog entry for our conversation or if you prefer just give us a call at 800 a family Well, thanks so much for taking some of your time this Christmas season to join us talking about sequels today and Hawkeye. And we look forward to connecting with you again next week on another episode of The Plugged In Show. 
Just like a warm fireplace when it's cold outside, the joy of the Christmas season gives comfort. I'm John Fuller, and Focus on the Family is excited to let you know about our Christmas Stories podcast. Each episode brings heartwarming conversations to bring your family closer together and remind you of the hope we have in Jesus. You can enjoy that podcast at focusonthefamily.com slash Christmas Stories. Hear past shows and the brand new season five at focusonthefamily.com slash Christmas Stories.